Uh, well, today begins the third week of Advent. And uh, as I have mentioned the past couple of Sundays, we're celebrating Christmas this year at the church by observing Advent during the entire month of December. And we, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, but I want to briefly repeat it again for those who have not been here and just talk about what is Advent. The word Advent, it comes from the Latin word meaning coming. So Advent is a commemoration of the birth of Jesus Christ, which is his first coming. And it's a looking forward to his second coming as well. Although the ideas expressed in the Advent observances come largely from Scripture, they are traditions which don't carry the same weight as Scripture. And so there are some variations in how Christian groups have observed Advent over the centuries. The Advent season, it begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, which this year was December 3. A common tradition that is part of the Advent observance is the Advent wreath, which we have one over here at the side of the stage, which features four candles around the perimeter, which are lit on successive Sundays, and a center candle, which is uh, lit on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. The first candle, which we lit two Sundays ago, is the hope candle or the prophecy candle. It is one of the three purple candles. And purple, as we've talked about before, it represents repentance and spiritual preparation. It also is a color for royalty, which points to the coming King of Jesus. The second candle, which we lit last Sunday, is another part or is another one of the purple candles, and it is the faith candle, or the Bethlehem candle. The third candle, which we'll be lighting today, is the joy candle, or the shepherd's candle, and it's the pink candle among those other ones, and it represents joy and celebration. The fourth candle, another purple candle, is the peace candle, or the angel's candle. We'll be talking about that next Sunday. And the fifth candle, which is the white one in the middle of the wreath, is the Christ candle. White represents purity, light, restoration, holiness. The wreath itself, it symbolizes the crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus' head when he was crucified. The red holly berries represent the blood of Christ that was shed when he was crucified for our sins. The evergreen symbolizes eternal life, which Jesus Christ gives to us. And the pine cones represent resurrection to new life. Well, as mentioned a moment ago, this is the third week of Advent, so we'll be lighting the joy candle today, following that with some scripture readings, and then we'll get into our Bible study for the day. So I'd like to invite some beautiful folk up to light the candle and do the readings for us today. The Christmas carol, Joy to the World, which we sang a little bit earlier in the service, is among the top ten most popular Christmas carols of all time, and it's the most published Christmas carol of all time in North America. The lyrics of Joy to the World were written by the great hymn writer Isaac Watts in 1719, based on Psalm 98. And interestingly, he didn't write Joy to the World as a Christmas song. Instead, the second coming of Jesus Christ was the theme 
that he had in mind, and he intended the song to be sung year-round as we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Then some 120 years later, after Isaac Watts had written the words for the song, the well-known composer of the time, Lowell Mason, in 1839, joined the words to music, which is believed to have originally been composed by Handel, and it is this form of the song that we now sing as a Christmas carol. The song, Joy to the World, has become deeply connected with the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, the first coming of Jesus, Christmas, and knowing the writer's original uh, intention for this song, we can sing it too any time of the year as we celebrate the coming of Christ for his second coming. So we celebrate the coming of Christ in the manger. We look forward to the joyful return of Jesus in, at his second coming in the clouds. And the song, Joy to the World, it works for both. Well, today we're going to look at Psalm 98, which is the inspiration for the song, Joy to the World. Some of you might remember that we looked at this psalm once before when we did our study through the Psalms back in 2020. This is a psalm of joyful praise, which portrays the Lord as the great conquering king who has won salvation for his people. For Christians, Jesus Christ is our great conquering king who has won salvation for us, and that's how we will be looking at the psalm as we go through it. So if you have your Bible, make your way over to Psalm 98, Psalm 98. We'll begin in verse 1. So says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Back up at verse 1, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Marvelous things. He has caused wonderful things to happen. He does things that cause wonder and delight and amazement and astonishment. Things not thought possible. Miraculous things. The Lord has done many marvelous things for us. But without question, the most marvelous, wonderful, beautiful, amazing, astonishing thing that he has ever done is what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. God the Son was born a human being for us. He modeled what a human being is supposed to be for us. He died as a sacrifice for our sin. He came back to life for us. He lives forever interceding for us. He puts his new life in us. And he's coming back for us. The idea of singing a new song as it says in the psalm here to the Lord, is not simply about literally composing a new song, but about fresh breath of inspiration and praise to God. He's done a new thing, a marvelous, wonderful, beautiful, amazing thing that inspires a new song to burst forth from our heart. This marvelous thing that he's done, it requires a new song 
The old songs can't express it adequately. This is not a repeat of things done in the past. It's an altogether new thing that he has done. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told about not putting new wine into old wineskins? The old wineskins, they can't handle the new wine. The old wineskins will burst if the new wine is put into them. Instead, new wine needs to be put into new wineskins. Well, Jesus is the new wine, which needs to be put into new wineskins. The old categories of thinking and religion need to be left behind, and the new wine of Jesus Christ embraced as the new paradigm. Our old life needs to be left behind so we can follow Jesus with the new life that he gives us. The amazing, wonderful, marvelous thing that he has done for us, it demands a new song, a new kind of thinking, a new kind of relationship with God has been created, a new life has been given to us, a new song, a new wineskin we want to be says, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord's right hand and his holy arm are expressions of the Lord's activity in our world. The right hand is the hand of power and a place of honor. You might remember in Hebrews 1.3 it tells us that after Jesus had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In other words, Jesus occupies the place of highest honor. In Isaiah 52.10 and 53.1, the Messiah, the Christ, is called the holy arm of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord's right hand and his holy arm. There's an interesting signpost in the word translated salvation in verses 1, 2, and 3 in this psalm, which also points to Jesus Christ. Do you remember what the name Jesus means? Jesus is the English version of the Greek name Jesus, which comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, which we pronounce Joshua in English. The name Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, Jesus, it means Yahweh saves, or the Lord is salvation. Before Jesus was born, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and Mary and told them to give the child the name Jesus. Literally, the Lord is salvation because he would save his people from their sins. The Hebrew word translated into, into English as salvation in verses 1, 2, and 3 of Psalm 98 is the Hebrew word Yeshua, which is a variation of the name Joshua or Jesus. Jesus is the Lord's salvation for his people. So if we pull these observations together, the phrase, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him, it takes on this richer meaning for us. Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, who is known as the Lord's holy arm, whose very name is the Lord is salvation, has accomplished salvation for the Lord's people. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Verse 2, it says, The Lord has made his salvation known. And verse 3 says, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We noted a moment ago that the holy arm of the Lord is the Messiah, the Christ, 
are Jesus. And one of the references that I mentioned a moment ago that talks about this is Isaiah 52.10. And that same reference has relevance here. Isaiah 52.10 says this. It says, the Lord will lay bear his holy arm in the sight of all of the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Jesus, the holy arm of the Lord, was laid bare in the sight of all the nations. Before the whole world, the Son of God, the Christ, was humiliated in every way imagined. He was mocked, he was beaten, spit on, whipped within an inch of his life, nailed to a cross of wood, and he was raised up then so everyone could watch him suffer and die. The holy arm of the Lord was laid bare in the sight of all the nations. But the most unexpected turn of events took place. What was thought to have been God's ultimate defeat by sin-inspired humanity and the devil, the suffering and the dying of the Son of God was actually the Lord's triumph over our greatest enemies, sin, death, and the devil. He won salvation for us through the humiliation and the death of His Son on the cross. What had been intended as a public spectacle of Christ's defeat was flipped on its head and it became a public spectacle of the defeat of our greatest enemies by Christ. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And now, in glory, again before the whole world, the Son of God, the Lord's salvation, his holy arm, is going to return. All the earth will see the salvation of the Lord. Revelation 1.7 says, Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Psalm 98, verse 2 says, and reveal his righteousness to the nations. Salvation and righteousness go together. They're, inter they're interconnected. Salvation involves our rescue and restoration from our broken lives and this broken world. Salvation involves putting right what is wrong, the restoring of the Lord's righteousness in our lives and in this world. What broke our life and our world? What continues to break our life and our world? Well, it's our turning away from God's right way, turning away from His righteousness. Our sin is what breaks our life and breaks our world. It says He has remembered His love and His faithfulness. The Lord made a promise to the human race when we first broke our lives and our world. Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelium, or 
the first gospel because the Lord gave us a promise in the midst of all of that brokenness during, in the great fall of humanity that he would rescue us one day, that he would bring his salvation and redeem us. And the Lord renewed his promise again and again throughout the centuries, through the prophets, and the Lord has kept his promise. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The fulfillment of his promise to us is his son, Jesus Christ, who came into our world and earned salvation for us through the giving of his life. What motivated God to do this? His love and his faithfulness. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Verse 4 of Psalm 98 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Who's told to shout for joy, to burst into jubilant song, to make music to the Lord? All the earth, everyone and everything. It's easy for us to let our attention to be taken up with all of the stuff that's wrong in our life and the world around us and forget that we have reason to shout for joy, to burst into song, to make music to the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your life at the moment. Things may be really awful, unbearable. The losses that you have endured, the pain and the suffering that you're going through, the hardships. And I don't mean to minimize any of that stuff that any of us may be going through right now. But I also want to remind us that we have reason to be joyful, even in the midst of the worst that this world throws at us. Christian, our salvation is reason enough to shout for joy, no matter what else is happening in our life. Our sin has been forgiven. Our guilt has been taken away. We have been given a new life and a new nature like Jesus, which is growing in us. We have a forever future with the Lord to look forward to. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That was written by a guy who was sitting in a dark, damp, first-century Roman dungeon at the time. How can we rejoice when we're facing situations in life that are difficult and discouraging and heartbreaking? Well, we, we rejoice in the Lord, not in the circumstances themselves. The Lord is the foundation of our joy. He's the one who gives us joy. He's the reason for our joy. He's the one who makes joy possible even in the face of difficulties. Rejoicing in the Lord is rooted in two important truths that we need to take hold of as His children. The first is that God is in control of all things. And second, God gives purpose to everything in our life. God is in control of all things, and God gives purpose to everything in our life. This idea is expressed in what James writes. You might remember James 1, 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We can consider it joy by looking at what the difficulties are accomplishing in the larger scope of our life, rather than only looking at the immediate pain and heartbreak that we're experiencing. This idea is also expressed in what Paul writes in the letter to the Romans in Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is in control of all things, and he gives purpose to everything in our life. And that purpose is always our ultimate good. And so we can rejoice in all things. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Verse 7 of the psalm says, Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. This whole world has been affected by the fall of human beings. Our sin has had a catastrophic impact on this whole planet. We broke this world and we keep breaking this world. And so we're told in Romans 8.19 that all of nature is looking forward to the completing of our salvation because it too will be saved in that moment and brought into the glory of the new heaven and earth created by Jesus. Derek Kidner calls verses 7 through 9 of Psalm 98 the chorus of nature. The whole nature is pictured rejoicing, singing a song of joy to the Lord for the salvation that he brings. The sea resounds, it roars, it thunders. The rolling and crashing of the waves of the ocean are its voice singing joy to the Lord. Everything in it, it says, all of the millions of beautiful, amazing creatures that fill the oceans sing for joy. It says, the world and all who live in it, every living thing on earth rejoices. The rivers clap their hands. The mountain sings together for joy. Can you imagine it? The chorus of nature, the whole creation, rejoicing together before the Lord. Do you remember the scene on Palm Sunday as Jesus was riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey colt? The people were putting their cloaks and palm branches down on the road, creating a special path for him to travel on as though they were rolling out the red carpet for him. And the people, they were shouting, Hosanna, which means save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders, they didn't like that, you'll remember. They told Jesus to make the people stop saying that. But Jesus said to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The irrepressible, uncontainable, unstoppable praising of the Lord for his salvation, 
the very rocks will cry out, Hosanna. That day is coming. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And so in closing, Luke 2.8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Let's bow our heads. Father, we, we rejoice in the first coming of your Son, and we look forward to the second coming of your Son and all that he will do and establish. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord is coming. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of these things Today and this week, you would lift our hearts, Lord. You would fill us with your joy as we remember what you have done for us and what you're going to do for us, what you're doing even in these moments for us, Lord. The giving of your precious Son. Be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.